Thank you for joining us today as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. As we've said over and over, Jesus is helping us realize what it means to be kingdom people, to live in harmony with our Heavenly Father and with one another in this new kingdom. And today we have the difficult task of discussing the topic of lust. Now, for you that have preschool or elementary children, this may be a sermon that you want to listen to first before sharing it with them. I don't think I'm going to say anything that is age inappropriate, but I want you to know that we are going to touch on topics that are meant for teens and adults. And so I leave that decision of whether you allow your kids to listen to this up to your discretion. Let me read our text again before we dig in. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Okay, I want you to look at verse 27 again. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Let me ask you a question. Where does that come from? Where was that heard? It was heard from the Ten Commandments. So are the Ten Commandments a reliable indicator of God's will? Are they? Absolutely they are. The Ten Commandments were laws meant to lead people of Israel into righteousness. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, he recognizes the liberties by which man has taken with these commandments. Jesus. See, Jesus is God's voice. The Word that became flesh from the beginning sets his teaching right alongside the commandments of God as one given authority. Jesus takes the original intent of the law and he fulfills it, bringing it to its ultimate and righteous conclusion. Now, being part of the kingdom is not just about modifying one's behavior so that one keeps the commandment. It is allowing Jesus himself to work on those core root issues found deep in our hearts and minds and souls. He says this again in verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who lusts at a woman with, with, looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus turns up the heat, doesn't he? I mean, what do we do with these difficult words of Jesus? Remember, the whole view of Jesus' world is shaped by Scripture, specifically on this topic, pages 1 and 2 of the Bible. When questions are asked of Jesus about divorce and marriage and relationships, Jesus always goes back to the Garden of Eden. There is something special that happens to this couple, Adam and Eve, who reflect the image of God. They're joined together in a covenant relationship of heart, mind, soul, and body. And out of that relationship, family is created as this couple produces more image bearers of the king. And this pleases God. Be fruitful, he says, and multiply. Jesus is looking at the marriage relationship as something so beautiful, so right in the eyes of his father. It is a relationship that should be celebrated and should be protected. 
and anything that distorts or fractures that union God established in the beginning, Jesus views as a threat to the very essence of God's creation. Now moving on to Mount Sinai, God commands that adultery is wrong there in Exodus 20 verse 14. Therefore, ending up in bed with another who is your covenant partner is wrong. And we know this. We get this. As God-fearing people, these are words we live by. The reason Jesus is addressing this is not one of right and wrong, but how does this happen? How does it happen that one ends up in the arms of another who is not your spouse? What is it that's going on in one's heart that would cause that individual to move away from that covenant relationship? And for 99% of the people out there who have committed adultery, they know this doesn't happen overnight, does it? No. It is a slow simmering of heart issues which occur over time, which brings about that adultery. And Jesus desires us to recognize and deal with those core issues long before the actual act of indiscretion. So what is one of those main core issues, Jesus says? Well, in Matthew 5, verse 28, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what is Jesus saying? I think it's pretty clear, but let's do a deeper dive at this passage before we make any assumptions. So the word look can have many different meanings. It means to glance, to view, to stare, and to gawk. Which one do you think Jesus is actually talking about here? Is it just to glance or a view or stare or gawk? All right. Jesus is speaking about lingering, intentional staring. Lustful intent is one when, when one stares at another with intent to engage sexually with that individual. This verse could be translated, anyone who stares at a woman in order to fuel sexual desire for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen to me. Here's what I am not saying. I'm not talking about seeing a woman and recognizing her beauty. There are beautiful people in this world, all made in the image of God. We recognize those individuals as beautiful and handsome people. But see, lust occurs when we allow our eyes to wander, to drift. And ladies, if you've ever been peered at in this manner, you know what I'm talking about. So this lust, this little movie, we are playing in our heads with another is a symptom, is it not? No one knows what is going on in your head. No one can detect it. It is a secret private matter of your heart. And for most, we don't believe we're harming anyone, do we? We haven't acted upon this movie and brought it to real life with another. So what's the harm? We try to keep these movies, these, these, these desires in our head private and locked away so no one knows. Yet it's like a fire that if left unchecked will fuel the burning of relationships. And all of us know this to be true. We've witnessed friends, we've witnessed loved ones, we've witnessed even ourselves be fueled by these desires. Martin Luther put it this way, we should not make the bowstring of Jesus' teaching too taut, as if anyone who is merely to look at another with lust is eternally damned. He said, I cannot keep a bird from flying over my head, 
but I certainly can keep it from making a nest in my hair or from biting off my nose. See, lust is about something taking root in our hearts and minds and our souls, and it's difficult to remove. But doesn't the world make it easy for our hearts to be captured by lustful sexual sin, for it to take root in our lives? Are we not just one click away from any sexual expression we desire? I had a friend, a computer expert in one of the churches I served, who refused to work on computers of church members. I said, why? Why is that? He said, I was always finding pornography on their computers, and it makes me view those individuals differently. So I just stopped working on computers of church members. See, according to the website Covenant Eyes, a software program for your computer to help you avoid pornography, the pornography business is $3.3 billion each year for that industry. 90% of teens and 90% of young adults either are encouraging accepting or neutral when they talk about pornography with their friends. And just 55% of adults and 25% of older, uh, 55% of adults 25 or older believe pornography is wrong. Teens and young adults, 13 to 24, believe, listen to this, they believe not recycling is actually worse than viewing pornography. Only 31% of young adults age 18 to 24 believe porn is bad for society, compared to 51% of millennials, 44% of Gen Xers, 59% of boomers. And so as a boomer, one of the reasons I believe the percentage is so high for us, we've witnessed the devastation and impact porn has had on our children's generation in their marriages. And we witnessed the impact it has had on Christ's church, have we not? See, according to the book, The Call to Biblical Manhood for Every Ten Men in Church, five are struggling with pornography. Brothers and sisters, lust distorts reality. It destroys a wife. It destroys their self-esteem. It never satisfies. It always leaves one empty and wanting more. It devalues and it creates isolation. It shapes our attitudes and our behaviors. It kills careers. And it can be passed on to the next generation, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. Lust destroys reputations. It devalues women in our society. And it grieves the heart of God. Eventually, the lust played out in one's mind in the secret patterns of one's life gives Satan a stronghold on your heart. Remember Jesus' view of man and woman and how they are to be one and live in harmony with one another. And we find God's view of this union on the first two pages of the Bible. The husband and wife are to be fruitful and multiply. God saw this union of husband and wife, Adam and Eve, and it was what? It was good. Not only was it good, God said it was very good. The sexual relationship between husband and wife is therefore meant to be very good. It just so happened that while I was studying for this lesson in my quiet time, one of the books I was actually going through chapter by chapter was the Song of Solomon. Brothers and sisters, it's a whole book on sexual desire, a whole book on passion. And I can tell you that that verse He invites us in to his banquet table and his banner over us is love. Probably should not be sung as a vacation Bible school song, if you get my drift. 
This is a book of Psalms which goes beyond a PG-13 movie rating. If, if you want to listen to how the writer frames the relationship between these two, listen to this. Chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as a grave. It flashes or flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Let me ask you something. Is fire good? No, really, really. I mean, is fire good? You say, yes, it can be used for warmth. It can be used to cook. It can be used to to offer light. But is fire always good? Can it not be used for harm? If fire is released unexpectedly or on purpose, what happens? It can get out of control. And when it gets out of control, there's damage, endless damage. Lives can be lost, homes are wrecked, lives are displaced. Many people we know have lost their souls because of this fire we're talking about. This fire one has for their spouse, this desire one has for their, their wife is very good in that covenant relationship. And when we look at Jesus' teaching, Jesus treats sex as something of the highest order, absolutely beautiful and sacred. Fire in its appropriate boundaries is good. Passion is good in this covenant relationship of marriage. But when that fire jumps from its boundaries, it is often a fire that much water cannot quench. And as I said before, relationships are destroyed and lives are ruined because of this fire. I have sat with too many couples over the years whose lives have been scorched by the fire of sexual immorality. Too many. It breaks my heart. It breaks the heart of God. And I always remind them of the greatest ethic of God's kingdom. Love. Love. It's the greatest command. It's the essence of how we're to treat one another, even our spouses. How one loves his wife represents a reflection of one's love for God. Which makes me ask the question, why is this passage addressed only to men? Yes, <laughs> yeah. look at that passage. Again, this passage is addressed only to, get, to men. Verse 28, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Who is the you here? Who is the everyone Jesus is speaking about? When we understand the context here, this passage is addressed to men. You ask, well, why? Why just the men? So let me ask you a question. When we look back at the history of the human race, who is it that has turned sexual desire into a tool of violence, subjugation, and oppression of the other gender? Is it not the male gender? And in this new kingdom, Jesus is pronouncing a kingdom in which women are to be protected and where they feel safe. This is a new kingdom which God desires, a place where women are treated with respect and honor. And man, we, we play a huge role in making this happen. 
It's up to us to be the the defenders of our sisters in this kingdom, to be protectors of our spouses and our daughters. And I know that many of you may think, well, what I just said is a sexist remark. I get that. I don't care. Our wives need us. Our daughters need us. Our sisters in Christ need us to offer protection. This place, Lake Homa, must be a place of safety, a place of honor, a place of blessing. This is serious stuff, is it not? And I wonder how many females in this audience have been hurt by the fires of sexual misconduct. Jesus is serious about these matters. Listen to his words. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Seriously. If one continues in this matter of lustful sexual desire, it would be better to to cut off one's limbs than to face the judgment of a righteous and just God. In the Psalms, the eye is how one sees the world, the hand is how one acts in the world, and the foot is one's path in the world. Jesus is not talking about self-mutilation here. He's speaking about the depths of the seriousness of the matter of how one sees the world, one's perspective of the opposite gender, and he's speaking to the path by which we go about it, is he not? Jesus knew that damage, the damage of this insidious lust Jesus is reminding his hearers and us that we are at war. We're at war with our sexualized culture, and we are at war with ourselves. And many find themselves mired in the muck and the mud. We know we need help. But many of us are too ashamed to admit that we are chained to this sin. It hurts to come face to face with that sin in our lives, but it's extremely difficult to admit We also have a problem with it. And if one wants to move beyond this fire, which is out of control, one has to, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the community around you, be willing to go through the painful process of tearing it out and cutting it off and throwing it away. Let me say something to all our married couples. The greatest gift we can give our families, our children, and our grandchildren is a loving relationship with each other. And the greatest gift you can give your spouse is a healthy, intimate, and sexual relationship with one another. Listen, listen, listen. There is hope and healing in Christ. Change can occur. Healing can happen. And I can tell you this, for most, the process will be a sloppy mess. It will not be easy. And as I've said before, we're not going to shoot our wounded here. It's okay to not be okay, but we do not want you to stay in the state which you are and you find yourself maybe right now. And if you find yourself enslaved by this sin, we love you. We want to journey with you. We will aid you in getting the help that you need, whether male or female. Brothers and sisters, there is much grace in this place. All of us are broken just in different, different places. So please do not wait to begin that journey toward eradicating this fire which blazes in your heart. 
Jesus came to redeem lost people, to heal hearts, minds, souls, bodies. And if you're struggling with this insidious, life-controlling, drug-addicting sin, seek help today. Begin the difficult and necessary journey of restoration. Reach out to one of the elders or ministers today. Give them a call. Send them a text or an email. And ladies, ladies, if you're struggling, please reach out to one of our elders' wives or the many other women leaders we have in our church. I know they will all help in any way they can. And my prayer for those caught in this fire is to seek the forgiveness of God and move toward his grace and reconciliation. God loves you. He is here for you. And I pray you seek help to release the chains that have a hold on you. We are here for you. We love you. And may his power and presence be upon each of you. I love you very much. May God bless you.